And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And it's a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this January 12th, Saturday morning. Stan the Fan and Craig Heist are here. Just dawned on me, though, Brittany Everett's here, right? Yes. What does Bonza say at the end end of that intro? He says, take it away, guys. Mm-hmm. We really do need to get a uh, new open. It just no. dawned on me. Well, she's one, she's of the not guys. one of the guys. Yes, yeah, she is. Have you looked at her? She's yes. not a guy. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. She's that's one of I'm, the guys. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Hey, you're uh, sporting a very uh, sporty sweatshirt well, there. Well, one of the guys, she's sporting her <laughs> Glenelg basketball right. sweats. Right. I got my Salisbury University sweats. Did you graduate from Salisbury? Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. How long's that been? Uh, 1983 is when I walked and uh, had to go back an extra semester because the fine folks in the uh, athletic counseling department right. determined that we were, the, I'm sorry, the academic counseling department determined we were three credits short at the 300, 400 level. Right. So you're ready to walk with your class, you're ready to get the diploma, the captain gown, the whole thing, and then they go, well, you can walk, but we can't give you your diploma just yet. Yeah. Yeah, I hate when that happens. You hate when that happens. Yeah. I didn't walk with my class, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, but was that your decision mm-hmm. or theirs? Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they collectively, they walked the other way. Exactly. Like the Three Stooges. I need three volunteers to take a step forward. And everybody <laughs> uh, anyway, we are uh, on. We are the Bataround team. Stan the Fan and Craig Heist will be here for the next two hours. Don't forget uh, to like us and, f- and share us on that's Facebook. That's exactly what I was getting ready right. to say, and I am on top of it today. I've done both. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it you adds tremendously to the size of our um, sizable audience. Right. Uh, if you, if we can get, like, if we could go from simply like four or five shares to nine to eleven shares, be unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, we'd be off the charts. Well, we would be because everybody else that looks at that will then share, then share it. Right. 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 We'd, we'd defraud the public that right. way. You'd think we had a big audience. Right. Anyway, here's what we've got for you on the show today. Uh, Bill Latson, our friend, and we've talked about Bill's um, uh, health situation where he's looking for a kidney transplant. Mm-hmm. And he has written a piece on MLB.com pertaining to Andre Dawson. Now, did he cover Dawson? He didn't cover Dawson. No, I don't believe so. In Montreal, but he's known Andre for a long time. Apparently, the Hall of Famer, ex-Expo, the ex-Chicago Cub, is in need of a kidney transplant. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, that's interesting that Bill took that assignment upon himself. Yeah. Uh, And we'll talk to Bill a little bit about that, and we'll also talk to him about where we stand on what is shaping up now, Craig, as a very tense uh, Hall of Fame vote, and not for three people, three people at the top, um, Mariana Rivera, still holding with 40% of the votes in at 100%. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I thought somebody announced he wasn't voting. Yeah, but he, okay, but well, I think there were known. a couple of people that announced that they weren't voting for Mariana, which yeah. to me is ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but, but they haven't submitted their votes yet. Right. All right. Well, yeah, but you know what? There's what forty percent of the percent website we in, look yeah. at is forty yeah. percent of the vote in. Uh, and I would say of the remaining 60%, you're not going to see uh, ballots from maybe a quarter to half of them. Right. So Okay. Anyway, uh, second is Roy Holiday at 94.1%. Now, I, I don't have a problem with Roy Holiday being, Halliday being a, um, a, a Hall of Famer. Uh, I do have a little bit of a problem with a Hall of Fame that has Mike Mussina on his fifth try and Roy Halladay due to the circumstances surrounding his death. I think I think that has sort of created like a tsunami for his candidacy in year one. Well, I would, I would agree with that. But then you're looking at a guy, too, uh, and I'd have to look up the exact amount of wins, but... He had 203 two, okay, wins. Okay, 203 Mike wins. Mike had 270. 270, right. 147 of them here in town. Yeah. And, uh, but, but again, you're talking about a guy who in, in postseason did throw... Did throw a perfect, perfect game. Perfect game in postseason. Uh, and he was a dominant pitcher when he did pitch and during his time. Uh, I've got less of a problem with that, and certainly I, I totally agree with you. But there, there is a tsunami, if you will. Uh, but certainly, you can't you can't, can't you necessarily up, can't take you come a, up with your own word. No, not at all. Yeah, uh, there's a flood. How's that? <laughs> there's a flood of support for him, and uh, I can certainly see why. Right. Yeah. So. Edgar Martinez is third at ninety point one percent, and last I think year on the ballot. Get, and I think last year on the ballot. And I think he's going to get in. I do, too. And he was so close last year. I think he was right. at 73 or whatever. Right. Uh, then so. you have uh, your friend and somebody I admire a great deal as a pitcher, Mike Mussina, is at 81.4%. Mm-hmm. The problem for Mike is that there is now a logjam just below the 75% figure of Clemens, Bonds, Schilling, all in the 73.4% in all that right. range. So, so as of now, they don't get they in. They don't get in. And, and Larry I Walker think... is at 66%. Okay, and as of now, he doesn't get in. Right. I don't think there's going to be a groundswell, if you will, for Bonds, Clemens. I still don't think they're getting in this year. Uh, again, the biggest problem I have, not that they weren't great players, because to me, Bonds was a Hall of Famer long before any of the steroid issues and and unquestionably and and speculation yeah. occurred with him. I don't think the same is exactly true for Clemens. I think you could find a case or make the case that the steroids took him to the next well, level uh, of length of of, of greatness, yeah, uh, of of career and greatness, and especially when he got, especially when he left the Red Sox and, and went to Toronto, went to Toronto, those couple of years up in Toronto, uh, I think you can certainly make that argument. Uh, but but my biggest problem with this, and we're going to hear, I think, from Dave Ginsburg later. Yeah, on. we're going to we're not having David on our show because we're both mad at him. Uh, but no. <laughs> I'm not mad at no, you, Gins. I, I'm not mad at him either. Uh, but we're going to play a little piece of uh, something he talked about on Glenn I Clark's got, show. I got to tell you, I called him yesterday on the phone. Right. 
And and I and I saw where Glenn. How many times a day do you talk to him? Like three times a day? No, times? no, not at just... all. No, I just happened to call him oh, because okay. of this. And he was on with Glenn yesterday, or maybe the day before. I think it was Thursday. Thursday, and uh, they talked about a variety of topics, but mainly Glenn had him on because Dave's Hall of Fame ballot was made uh, was was made public, and. There, he, I think he only voted for six guys. Now, you can vote for up to ten. Right. There's no rule that says you have to vote for up to ten. But anyway, the, during this interview, the dogs at Ginz's house start barking. Y- yeah, and they're yappers, you know, that kind of thing, right? Kind of like our wives. Okay, well, Since yeah. they're not listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I know one that's probably watching at this point. Anyway. So, so, so I just call him up. He answers the phone yesterday. I went, he says, hi, Steve, what's up? And I said, when you're on the phone with Glenn Clark, can you shut, shut those dogs up? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I wanted to kill both of them. <laughs> but, so anyway, uh, it, it's certainly if you, if you want to go on press bo- or on Facebook and look at the press box, Glenn right. Clark show, find that interview and listen to it. You'll be more than entertained by it all right so anyway we've only gotten to the point where we've got uh bill latson on then mm-hmm. at ten forty-five today we're gonna have ben badler on okay from uh baseball america he's their international baseball scouting expert and uh boy do we need to talk to him yes we do <laughs> want to i want to ask him because i think he'll remember this he was on with us i don't think you were in that day but he was on with me about 18 months ago and and his schedule is really tough. I yeah. mean, he does a great job at ducking us, you know. Uh, but seriously, he mentioned he mentioned back then that what the Orioles should do is even if they only earmarked pitching mm-hmm. in the Latin America. This is before this summer's pronouncement that they were going to go heavily into the international scouting effort, right? Uh, this is before Duquette was let go. Um, he had told me 18 months ago, he goes, they could, for the cost of a utility infielder, like $3, 4000000 million, they could get 20 or 30 arms at like 100000 apiece. Yeah, and see, and what see which one develops. Right. But yet, it's interesting, this year when we lost Victor Victor Mesa and mm-hmm. Sandy Gaston, all of a sudden it was, well, now they, they, don't, have any, they don't have anybody to go after. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying... Wait a minute. Cuba and Dominican Republic, they're, I mean, there's a sizable number of baseball players there. If this was college in the United States, there's guys in the seventh and eighth round that you can sign in college yeah. that are going to end up being good players. Absolutely. So and, I want to see what kind of level uh, and whether he thinks that Mike Elias and now Kobe Perez will make the use of. They still have roughly, I think, Six million dollars, I would think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. through July, through like Ju- the yeah. end of June, Who that they have to use. Yeah, yeah or it goes or away. It goes away, right? Yeah, and I, I, for one, think that that Kobe Perez is. I'm not saying he's going to get the level of prospect that Victor Victor Mesa or Sandy Gaston, but I would think that they could still use three million dollars. Oh, no question about it. And when you stop to consider that there are no guarantees about. Victor Mesa and Sandy yeah, Gaston. No question about it. You, you know, you, you, so in a and lot of ways, it's a crapshoot. And what's Victor Victor Mesa's brother's name? Victor Mesa? Victor Mesa, yes. <laughs> and is the father Victor Mesa, too? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. 
What's your uh, what's your Victor Vector? Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's your Vector? Vector? What's your Vector Victor? Uh, so anyway, we've asked people to like our video and share our video, and now we're about ten minutes into the show. Well, Alan Steele is uh, liking it, yeah, Ron and Kit- sharing it. Ron Kitzmiller did Dave the same. Dave Robinson yeah. did the same thing. My good friend, but yet it's weird. It's uh oh, we're in trouble now. Why? Craig, there's a nice comment for you. Oh, yeah. boy. Uh, wait a minute. we got to remember who said that. I'm uh, going to bail you right. out of here. About the yappers. Yeah. Who said, like, our wives. Right. Uh, a certain Suzanne Heist says, what? Yeah, With well. Question mark, question mark. That was said by me, Suzanne. If you want to call Jane and, sh- and be a, a dirty rat fink. You know, and tell her what I said. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, because Jane doesn't watch this mess. <laughs> no, she, she doesn't watch this at all. Um, anyway, but Suzanne, Craig did not say that. Right. He he just went along with it to be a good guy. Right. But he didn't mean it. He didn't have his heart in it. The locks will be changed by the time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right, Ben Badler's on with us. Then I did an interview with uh, Eno Saris yesterday of mm-hmm. TheAthletic.com. He is the guy who uh, used to write for Fangraphs, uh, and he does a lot of the analytical s- stories. Uh, he's got three interesting stories in the past week on The Athletic. One about Brian Dozier and how good a pick he thinks the Nats got there. He may have even written that before the Nats signed him, saying that he's a great bounce-back candidate because he's never been in his six or seven years, never been on the uh, disabled list. This year he was on it a couple times, uh, and he feels his performance this year was due to uh, injury. Uh, He also wrote a piece about the over-unders are out of Las Vegas uh, and what those numbers are uh, for teams. The Orioles are in Vegas. The number is 59. I think Fangraphs has them at 62. So they well, if it's 62, loss. they're looking at a 100-loss season, loss both season. of them. So, uh, and, and I'll preface that by yeah. saying, you know, and I know we sat through a 115-loss season, but yeah. I also remember the uh, uh, Seattle Mariners under Lou Pinello winning 116. Right. Okay? It is hard. It really is hard on to average win or to lose win that. or lose 100 games in a season. Yeah. Well, I would say, I, I would say it is hard. But I'd say it's it's really defies belief to win or lose over a hundred and say seven hundred right, right, you know, you start to get into that. Anyway, um, Eno Saris will join us, and the other piece Eno wrote this week. And Craig, this is the first year in about ten years, I believe, that Major League Baseball players' total compensation—that's when you lump every player in the major leagues went down mm-hmm. from where it was the year before, and it went down by $18 million. Now, I'm not a great analytics or math person. Those weren't my strong suits. But he earmarks 10 teams that he says have a lot of money that they could spend. The Orioles are on that list. The Giants are on the list. Kansas City's on the list. Uh, the Texas Rangers are on the list. One other bad team. Then, then he has probably the Royals. Then he, I just mentioned the Royals. Oh, it was sorry. the Royals, Orioles, Giants, Texas. There's one other bad team. Maybe, um, was San, maybe San Diego. I'm not sure. But anyway, then he had five teams like the Twins, the Indians, even the Astros 
and a couple other that are potential Rays mm-hmm. that are potential contending teams and how much less money they've spent. Collectively, these 10 teams, Craig, have, have on the books right now, and I know we're not finished yet, um, $355 million less than they did last year's payroll. Well, we're a long way from being finished to your point, but the second thing is it, it leads you to believe that the economics and what teams are willing to spend, certainly the hierarchies of a lot of these teams are being very, very cautious with their money, and I think we're seeing that also play out in free agency, you know, especially the last two to three years in particular where you're not getting those long-term deals. And that's, you know, and and now that the Yankees have signed LeMayu, what does that do for Manny? It doesn't look like New York's a fit for Manny, so that probably probably looks like it's going to be the Phillies or the White Sox. Well, they're saying now, all of a sudden last night, a bunch of articles popped up saying there's now a mystery team. Mm -hmm. Uh, For Manny. For Manny. Yeah. Uh, and I think we've all been surprised, not so much that Manning hasn't signed yet, or maybe that he's not getting nibbles at the 10-year, 350 range, but wouldn't you have thought that seven or eight teams would be in on Manning, at Yo, least he, kicking the tires? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it you struck would. me as odd that only three teams have been in it, and that means if the price isn't astronomical – Maybe a team like the St. Louis Cardinals or the the, the Mets don't figure, but maybe uh, I'm trying to think who else could get. Maybe the Diamondbacks or some somebody else mm-hmm. couldn't suddenly get in on Manny Machado. I totally agree with you, and I think there's probably more than just two teams, but yeah. a lot of teams are playing it close to the vest, and yeah. uh, you're not hearing about it. It's going to be interesting to see where he lands, where Harper lands. I still say Harper's best bet to land is back in Washington with the Nationals. All right. You're sticking to that story. I'll stick to that story. Well, it sure seems like the Dodgers now, they've made a move that – interesting move, and I wonder what it means to the JT Real Muto um, uh, sweepstakes because I know that the Marlins wanted a catcher that could be a number one catcher. Not a star, but a number one catcher. I wonder now that they've acquired Russell Martin, could Barnes be part of a deal to the Marlins, you know, along with two prospects for Real Muto? Could be. Yeah. Uh, again, there's a guy that, uh, you know, last year the Nationals were in on him in terms of trade, and uh, but, but the Nationals went out in a different direction, kind of solved their catching issues, and it looks like it could be a pretty decent platoon for them. All right. Well, joining us right now is somebody we've got a myriad of topics to talk about, and we almost don't know where to start, but uh, Bill Latson of MLB.com joins us. Bill, how are you? Doing great. How about you? Doing great. Let's start out with, um, with some acquisitions yesterday. What is the D.L. Uh, LeMahieu deal? DJ. DJ LeMayu, I prefer DL. I always did. Uh, (laughs) He probably doesn't. DJ LeMayu, what does his signing by the Yankees say about Manny Machado still being a live uh, candidate for the Yankees? Well, I don't see him going to the Yankees now, Machado. And, uh, you know, I think it tells me that uh, DJ LeMayu is going to be all around the infield. Yep. And uh, I don't see – 
for, for that reason alone, I don't see how they're going to find Manny Machado. And, you know, you still have Andrew Har there, and then, you know, Didi Gregorius is out until mid-June because of Tommy John surgery. So, I mean, uh, I guess uh, the price tag is too high for the Yankees, and, uh, you know, you got to wait and see what happens. I mean, they still, to me, you know, I think they still need uh, some pitching, and, you know, we'll see what happens. All right. Now, now that Machado's out there, all of a sudden last night, and I didn't sit and read all of them, but I saw three or four articles perking up, uh, bubbling up on the Internet uh, from reputable writers that there's a, a mystery team now in on Machado. Do you have any idea who that could be? I don't. And uh, there's always a mystery team, and uh, who that is, I, I have no idea, but... Uh, Whoever it is, I mean, whoever gets Machado, they're definitely going to improve a hundred percent because that guy's that talented. Yeah, well, there's no question he's got the talent. There's no question about it. Uh, what are you hearing? Uh, I, I, the easy thing would be to pivot to uh, Harper, but I thought yesterday's trade by the Dodgers and the Blue Jays, where the Dodgers are only going to be on the hook for about three point five million out of the $20 million owed to Russell Martin this year. Is Austin Barnes now possibly part of a trade to the Marlins, uh, along with a couple prospects that could net them, JT Real Muto? You know, uh, you know, I heard what you said earlier about Austin Barnes. I don't think he's enough. I mean, well, yeah. I certainly didn't say he's the main. It just sounded like they want somebody that can play 120 games. Yeah, I, I don't see Austin Barnes. Me, uh, Austin Barnes is a big player. Yeah, and and yes, you know he played a lot during the World Series, the last two World Series, in mm-hmm. fact. But uh, I, I don't see that. I think they, I see the Marlins getting much more uh, for you know like uh, real real Mudo and. Uh, I don't see it personally. Okay. And I just want to be clear, though. I wasn't suggesting that he's the featured guy in it. I just had read that apparently the Marlins really want to get back a a, a catcher that can catch a fair amount of games this year. Uh, we're yeah, talking. I, I, yeah, I, don't, I don't see that. All right. We're talking with Bill Latson of MLB.com. Um, well, Bill, let me ask you this. You, you um, had uh, – Obviously, we've talked a lot about your situation health-wise on this show and and your need for a a kidney transplant. You had a chance to talk to Andre Dawson here recently. Uh, Number one, what brought that about? We can only imagine, certainly. But the other thing is, uh, you know, how well do you know Andre? and, and, And also, how open was he to talking about all this? Well, well, that, it actually was Ed Cranepool. Oh, okay. Ed Cranepool of the Florida Mets. Yeah, he he was a kidney transplant. He, he thought he had uh, he thought he had a uh, transplant recipient uh, this this month, in fact. Okay. But uh, they had to reject the patient because uh, of other health issues that patient had. So um, so far, you know, he's you know Ed Cranepool looks good. He really does. And uh, and how that came about was that um, he was involved with a blood drive with the Mets, and that's how I was able to uh, talk to Ann Crane Pool, and uh, it was great talking to him. What did he have to say about uh, the possibility? Uh, is he close? No. 
Uh, so far, no, because after the, re- the rejection uh, this month, in fact, uh, you know, he's still looking uh, around, but uh, he hopes to get it soon. So we'll see what happens. Well, this was certainly good news in the Andre Dawson. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, we apologize on that. Uh, no problem. Uh, all right. No problem. Um, we wanted to pivot to another topic right now, which is the Hall of Fame. Have you ever recalled a, a log jam at that number just below 75% with four guys from 66% to 73.5%, Clemens, Bonds, Schilling, and Larry Walker being the lowest. Are those four guys going to potentially drain enough votes from Musina, who's at 81.4 with 40% of the votes in, do those four guys being that close represent a problem for Musina? You know what? No. Um, and I don't. And, I, and I'll tell you why. I think Harold Baines opened the door for people like Mark Musina to get in. Now, personally, I don't think Harold Baines is a Hall of Fame. Right. But I think that he opened the door for people like Musina to, and then Larry Walker, to to get in now. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, will they be voted in by the writers? That's the wait and see. But we know this, so the uh, Veterans Committee most likely will put him in. So I I think that's going to happen. Well, I think for sure that uh, Mike will get in one way or the other. Uh, between now and the time that his 10 years on the ballot. Yeah. I, and think he's he's got another... sque- I think he's going to squeeze by at about 77, 78%. Could be. All right. Uh, your thoughts on that that group of four there? Uh, Bonds, Clemens, so close now. Uh, is it now just a matter of time for the two of them? I think it is a matter of time. Um, again, I think it's because of Harold Banks. Um, I think... Uh, you know, you know, uh, Clemens and Bond were never caught or suspended per se, mm-hmm. and uh, I just, I just think it's a matter of time. I I, uh, I I I hate to say it, but it looks like they might put anybody in now. Yeah, um, not along those lines. But what about the mitigating circumstances surrounding Roy Halladay? I'm a Mucina should have been on the first ballot guy, okay? But I understand, you know, I understand that he's not, okay? He clearly wasn't put in the first ballot. But are you surprised that Halliday is at 94%? And what part do you think the tragedy surrounding his death is playing on that? Well, I don't think the tragedy, you know, I don't think the tragedy had anything to do with it, to be honest with you. Because uh, unlike Mike Messina, Ray Holiday won some Cy Young Awards. The guy was a dominant pitcher. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I mean, I, I, you can always say, you can't say that about Mike Messina. Mike Messina was not what you say the best pitcher in baseball. You can say that about Roy Holiday. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you look at Roy Holiday. I mean, in the American League, he was dominant. Who, do, who, did, was, Roy, who did Roy Holiday pitch for? He pitched for the Blue Jays. Right. And he pitched and he for the pitched, Phillies. And, and, and he, he pitched for and the he Phillies. Won, and he and he won a Cy Young there, right? And and he and he won a Cy Young with the uh, Phillies on team dominant. on teams that were very good. Yeah, not not the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays were not 
let me let me just let me just give you one figure that to me is the slam dunk reason that people uh, are totally overlooking Musina. And I will, I will say for, this real quick. He pitched for the Orioles, and the team winning percentage was five eleven. His winning percentage was six forty five with the Orioles. And but I'll say this: I n- I never thought of Mike as a first ballot Hall of Famer, right? I but did. I always thought of him as a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's going to be a Hall of Famer, well, yeah. but I think he's exceptional. Anyway. His best years are with the Orioles, I think. Well, you know, I, I got to tell you, he, he <laughs> actually outpitched the winning percentage of the Yankees. I went over this the other day. His his eight years in New York, their winning percentage was 599. His was 631. Yeah. I mean, he's a guy who outpitched the, the teams that he and, pitched on. And the first year he was there, uh, the guy that's going to be a slam dunk Hall of Famer, uh, gave up a broken bat single to Luis Gonzalez to cost him a World Series there, and then later on the Yankees don't even make the play, uh, make the World Series if it's not for Moose's uh, relief appearance against uh, the the Boston Red Sox in that series. So I mean you can you can slice and dice it a lot of different ways, but uh, really you, you you can't argue with 270 wins in the steroid era, pitching all of his games in the American League East yep. and having a 638 winning percentage. I, and 20th on the all-time strikeout list. Yeah, I mean, you can't argue with that. And uh, but, but you know what, though? When I think of, I mean, Craig, you know how I feel about Lucina. You know, uh, you know the, yeah. the guy. You're, you're the, biased because you were disappointed he wasn't greater with the with the Yankees. Well, that's it. So he's not a true Yankee. Yeah, he's not. In a other true words, he, I mean, he didn't win a World Series. He didn't win a Cy Young. Right. Yeah. And, and all that. I mean, you know, right. I, I'm sorry. He just didn't do it. And and, and, uh, and then people want to talk. People want to talk about his postseason. Well, he had a he had a three. Uh, I want to say a three four uh, ERA in the postseason, and you won't find two better uh, performances. When the Orioles were Cleveland. good against Cleveland, when yeah. he strikes out twenty-five Indians in two games, thank you, Ar- thank you, Armando Benitez. But you know what, though, I- I- I'll tell you though, Carol Baines, and I mean, open the door for those guys. So, uh, yeah, you know, um, I mean, there's no question now. I, I believe you see, it will go in the Hall of Fame, but he should go in the Hall of Fame as an Oriole. Okay. But you, but you, you think he's d- a deserving Hall of Famer, don't you? No, you, I don't. You don't think Musina is a, a okay? All right. The guy didn't win. He didn't win. I mean, I he won two hundred and seventy games for God's sake. What are you talking about? Didn't win. He didn't win the big one. Okay. He wasn't on. He had. He had basically. Oh, come on! I don't see a World Series ring. I don't see the name. Mike Ustino on, on any of the championships. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't see it. All right. You know what? If you're going to put Harold Baines in, you might as well put in Bill Buckner. Because Bill Buckner has, if not better stuff, than uh, Harold Baines. Yeah, especially letting balls go through his legs. So, I mean, if, if he's going to do all that. So, that's just me. That's all just right. Me. Uh, how's this, um... I told you we shouldn't have had him on. <laughs> <laughs> he still remains a friend. He, he's still a friend, but God. All right. We're talking with Bill Latson of MLB.com. 
the best news out of this interview is that Andre Dawson is yeah, alive he's, he's and well. alive and yeah. well. All right. Um, yeah. Tell us uh, <clears throat> the the. Um, do you know who Eno Saris is, don't you, with The Athletic? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. Eno does a lot of their analytical stories. Um, he, he wrote a piece this week where he, he, uh, he basically laid out two little charts, one of five teams that are really at the bottom of the barrel and five teams that are contending teams. And I don't have the article, I'm sorry, in front of me right now. But in the bottom of the barrel, the Royals, the Orioles, the Giants, um, and I forget one or two of the others. Then in the five teams that are contenders, it included the Twins, the Indians, the Rays, and the Astros, and one other team. Between those ten teams, they are down in payroll $355 million at this point right now. Now, we know that the... The offseason isn't over with. Uh, Major League Baseball saw a, a drop in the total compensation for players last year for the first time in like eight or ten years, and it was only a total $18 million. It seems to me that the total compensation this year is going to be at least $100 million, maybe more than it's been in the past. Your thoughts, Bill? Well, if, if it's, you know, compensation, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, these teams, you tell like these teams getting the compensation dollars, correct? What's that? I'm sorry? Uh, you get you talk about the, the teams are going to be getting compensation dollars for losing players? No, I'm talking about the total amount of money spent on, on players' salaries. In other words, it was four billion, like two hundred and fifty million uh, in seventeen. This year, it was eighteen million dollars less. Oh, okay. Well, and this we, year, we, right right now, those ten teams I laid out to you are three hundred and fifty-five million dollars less in spending for nineteen than they spent in eighteen. And, and I told. Well, it- I told Stan I just thought that it was it's basically the way the economics of the game is kind of going. Teams are being ca- more cautious with their money. Yeah, but not only that, though. I think you've seen more teams relying heavily on their farm systems. I mean, I mean that's that's the way it is. I mean, now, I mean it's not just uh, the Royals of the world. Uh, I mean, you've seen teams in the middle of the road, teams that spend big money. I mean, even the Yankees, you're seeing them rely heavily on their minor leagues. But doesn't, but doesn't this spell a t- – and I think, I'm, I think I'm correct in this, Bill. Uh, Major League Baseball Players Association has hired a new litigator, uh, attorney, sports attorney. I think his name is Bruce Weber. And he's going to be the lead negotiator. Tony Clark's not going to be when this um, – basic agreement ends in December of 2021. I imagine they'll start talking about a year earlier than that. I think there's a chance for a real big labor fight this time for the first time since we lost the World Series in 1994. No, I don't. You know what? No, I, right now, I don't see that. Okay. I mean, the relationships have been good so far. Uh, I, I don't want to say... Um, things are going to be 
going downhill until we get close. All right. So, I, I, I mean, right now, I have to say, I got to take a wait and see before I, I say that. I thought Rob Manfred basically took uh, Tony Clark to the woodshed and uh, and and taught him who his daddy was. That's that's how I describe this. <laughs> uh, the players are tr- going not the not the top five eight percent of players. But the rest of the players now are nothing but bit players. They're not getting any length of contract. They're all one-year contracts. There's 30 qualified major leaguers that have now signed minor league deals this year just to get into a camp. Um, There's still a whole host. I think it's 170 free agents still out there. uh, And they're all, you know, worried about where their paychecks are going to come from this year. I think the players are on the run right now, and I think the the sport is awash in money, and I think that we're heading toward a, a real problem. I, I think the players uh, are really going to argue that they got to get the free agency sooner because now they've gotten squeezed with that because nobody's now paying players after the age of 32 years of age. So if you don't get the free agency until 27 or 28, they're giving you like three or four years to really make money. So I think you're going to see a lot of a big fight in 2021. Yeah, I can't really say on that, Sam, okay. to be honest with you. But right. I, I, I'll tell you this, though. Remember who the I, first to tell you was. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I can't. I can't say. I really, okay. you, know, I, I mean, you know, until it gets close, okay. until I get a real, you know, feel of what's going on, then I can say, but I can't really say right now. All right. You got one more for uh, Bill Latson? What's Kirk what's Hines? coming up on the agenda as far as stories for you uh, over the next couple of weeks? You're going to be working on that Mucina to the Hall of Fame story? Uh, no. Well, no. You, you know as soon as it happens who you're getting a call from. Yes, correct. All I right, know. good enough. I know. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, my uh, I read the one on Jeff Kent, who, who definitely belongs in the Hall of Fame. And... Uh, I spoke to Chili Davis, who is now the Mets uh, hitting instructor. Right. And sometime today, I should be talking to Steve Pierce, so uh, who you guys know. Yeah. So, so uh, that was a great you know, signing by the Red Sox to get him back too at that price. I mean, you know, he has a postseason like he did, and wins the. Was it a one-year deal? I think it was a one-year deal. Five million dollars, yeah. I think. Yeah. Five or six, six, yeah. I think it was. The MVP of the World Series. Yeah. Yes, he was. All right, Mr. Latson. when do you head down to Florida? I don't know if I'm going to Florida yet. Uh, I know that uh, I'm going to the Mayo's Clinic uh, okay. for a week, and uh, i got to take care of that first. And, and that's, that's in February, right, that's Bill? That's in February? That's correct. All okay. right. That's correct. All right. We'll have you on uh, in the next few weeks. All right, Billy? It's well, always a pleasure to talk God, to you. God love you, and yeah. keep, keep up the fight, and uh, – even if we disagree on the Hall of Fame. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> uh, we, we still love Thanks Bill. A lot, guys. We still love Bill Latson. We still love Bill Latson. All right. You got it, man. I'll tell Take you care. one other thing we love in addition to Bill Latson. Yeah, it's the Costas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, we did uh, should we break the news on the air? Yeah, sure, why bought, not? We're going to we we're going to send six crab cakes to Casey Willett yep. uh down in Tennessee and uh we didn't get Brit's money though. No, no, you know, we didn't. We, you know, we split the. We, 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 split, we split the cost of it. Yeah. 
She's going to. She, She'll she, eat a yeah, crab cake gonna, if we buy her one. Right, but she's going to come up with the excuse about, you yeah, know, low level the, intern, right, no money, right. that kind of thing. Exactly. You mean the, tr- <laughs> you mean the truth? The truth. Yeah. Absolutely. God, imagine that. Uh, the Costasin, we just uh, uh, sent a good friend of ours who's probably listening right now and is going, where the hell are they? Mm-hmm. Well, stay calm. It's going to be probably three, four days. Right. right? Uh, but uh, you can do that. To anybody you love around the country, um, you can be, sh- ship you can, the world famous crab cakes to anybody you want, and also you can get uh, steamed crabs shipped to you uh, from the Costas Inn, and you won't find better crabs anywhere than at the Costas Inn. All right, forty one hundred North Point Boulevard. At, we've told you many, many times before they got specials every night of the week, Monday through Friday. Uh, we won't go through them all right now. Great entertainment on several nights a week. Just a great place. 4100 North Point Boulevard, the Costas Inn. Tell Nick and Pete, Stan the Fan and Craig Heist said, gotcha. One-third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. What a sweet time to see our friend Steve at his Chick-fil-A restaurant in Nottingham Square. The chocolate milkshakes are the way they should be at Chick-fil-A, thick and chocolatey. But so is the peppermint chocolate chip milkshake, thick, chocolatey, and pepperminty. The strawberry milkshake is thick and very strawberry-y like it's supposed to be. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square also has frosted coffee and ice-cold vanilla shakes. Plus, there's a cookies and cream milkshake. Cookies and cream! The Chick-fil-A sandwich is the best. The waffle fries are amazing. And at Steve's Chick-fil-A in Nottingham Square, his folks come around to check on you if you dine in. They refilled my drink for nothing the last time I was there. Do not leave hungry. Top off your next meal at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square with something sweet. Shakes, cones, and cookies. All done the way you'd expect from Chick-fil-A perfectly. Join Chick-fil-A 1 and score points every time you order for free stuff. Our Chick-fil-A is on Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Pressbox's annual Best of Baltimore Sports Double Issue is now available. Presented by Maryland Sports Commission. This issue recognizes UM. BC Basketball's Ryan Odom and Jarris Lyles as our local sportspersons of the year. Plus, 60 more are in the spotlight as we look at the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. 
Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local Turtle. This is former Turp AJ Francis just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruined the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy Y2AJ here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. And we are back on the battle round on this Saturday, January the 12th. And uh, we hope if you're listening, you will take the opportunity or watching on Facebook Live, especially if you're watching on Facebook Live, you'll take the opportunity to like the show and to share the show with your friends list. Joining us right now is somebody I greatly admire. And if I were a little bit younger and starting my career, uh, sort of maybe 10 years in or so, I would love to be doing what he's doing. It's Ben Badler of uh, Baseball America. He's their international scouting expert. Uh, And Ben, we really appreciate you taking some time for me, Stan the Fan, along with Craig Heiss. Oh, absolutely, guys. Thanks for the kind words. I appreciate it. Uh, first of all, uh, I know that international scouting isn't the only thing you know because you come at this from a real passion for, for baseball to begin with. What were your thoughts when you saw that the Orioles signed uh, Mike Elias to be their new exe- top executive and then followed it quickly with Sig Meidel, uh, Meidel uh, who's their uh, analytics Guru. Yeah, I think those are two really, really strong hires. Uh, I think uh, personally, I was expecting, and I think a lot of other people uh, were expecting, you know, a top GM candidate like a, a Michael Elias or, or other uh, soon-to-be GMs to possibly shy away from mm-hmm. the job in Baltimore. But he has a, a really good track record in uh, Mike does, and, and obviously Sig as well in, in Houston. And uh, a lot of respect for for both guys around the game. Uh, you know, Mike. You know, I know we're going to talk about international scouting for the Orioles, and, and I saw Mike. I mean, he he was in charge of basically all their scouting in mm-hmm. Houston, and I saw him a lot uh, going down in, in Latin America, just going down and doing that uh, grassroots scouting for them. So he was uh, somebody who was very well immersed in, in that arena. So I think that's a very, very strong hire or a strong couple of hires for, for the Orioles. What can you say about the guy that he just signed last week to head the international, the Orioles new real foray into international scouting, especially in Latin America, Kobe Sanchez or Kobe Perez. Yeah. Kobe's been, uh, been around for a while. I see him all the time <laughs> running around, uh, uh, all the different countries in in Latin America, seeing players. He's, uh, you know, he had been with the Phillies for for a long time, and the Phillies are an organization I think is one of the the best in baseball at, at international scouting, and and they signed a lot of really good young and and very inexpensive pitching prospects out of Latin America who were uh, very under the radar type guys who, uh, you know, were projection guys, maybe lanky guys who had good delivery, good arm action, some feel for spin, but, um, you know, the, the present stuff maybe wasn't there 
at the time they signed, so they didn't sign for a lot of money. But uh, after signing, they they really shot up and uh, turned into very good uh, pitching. Pro- I mean, Sir Anthony Dominguez is one guy who's already there, obviously for them uh, in the big leagues, and and I think Kobe and and you know they have a whole bunch of other really good scouts in uh, Philadelphia. But he was a big part of that, so it uh, wasn't a big surprise when he got a a promotion to to work for uh, for Cleveland. And, uh, you know, since he's been in Cleveland the last, uh, you know, few years as, as their Latin American scouting director, I think the, the Phil, or excuse me, the, uh, the Indians have done a, a really, really good job signing some of the, some of the better, uh, especially better hitting prospects in, uh, in the lower levels of the minor leagues, guys like, uh, George Valera, an outfielder out of the Dominican Republic, uh, Brian Rocchio, a shortstop from, uh, from Venezuela, who was our, our number one prospect in the, in the Arizona league this year. So uh, I think he's got a, a really strong track record behind him, which I, I think is really, really important. And, and somebody who has a, a lot of respect among his, uh, among his colleagues and his, his peers in the, in the international scouting world too. I want to dig into uh, what's still left in the market in a, in a moment, but I did want to ask you uh, big picture. I know John and Louis Angelos took, took their time in getting Michael Elias and Sig in place, do you think that that cost them Victor Victor Mesa and or and or Sandy Gaston or do you? I mean, and is that that big a deal in the grand scheme of things? Now that you see, you know which direction they're going. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest uh, the biggest thing for them was just to get the right people in charge because that's you know guys like Mike and Sig and. They're they're really going to shape the entire organization much more so than uh, you know one player like mm-hmm. uh, a Victor Victor, but yeah, I mean at the same time they really should have signed <laughs> Victor Victor. Um, yeah. This was a guy who's you know everybody knows who he is or should know who he is, and the Orioles had far more money available in their international bonus pool than. Anybody else, they, they traded up for more money, mm-hmm. and then they made that bizarre move where they traded away. That was, <laughs> the, most, that was the most pool. bizarre deal that Dan made in his time here, you know. Yeah, so I don't know, like, what what the motivation for, for that was. I was like a 22- or 23-year-old, what, first baseman in, in, the in Gulf Rocky Coast Ball. League, Not, right, yeah. Yeah, so, so they really, they did they did screw up when it came to signing Victor Victor, but ultimately, yeah, I mean, getting the right people to be in charge of the organization to make an impact on far more than one player has got to be the the main priority for them. So let me ask you this, and I have a pretty good memory, and you were on with us, I'm going to say, and I know your schedule is so crazy, uh, but I think you were on with me about 18, 20 months ago, and you, I asked you what it would really take to you know, to dig in, would it what what an academy would cost to really dig in in Latin America? And you're, I remember very distinctly you saying what what maybe they should do is for the price of a utility infielder, which would be like three or four million dollars. You were suggesting that even if they just earmarked that for pitching and held a you know a um, a tryout and signed. 30, 40 guys at $100,000 a piece that they could get some good arms. They now still have $6 million left uh, in in that bonus money, international bonus money. 
Do you think there are still – is there still talent that they can find over the next four or five months before that figure expires? Yeah, that's the, the tricky part is that most of, if, if not almost all of the top international prospects for the 2018 to, to 19 signing period, it, you know, it started on July 2nd right. last year and, and it goes until June this year. So pretty much all of the, the top guys for this year are, are gone. Now that said, there's just so many players in Latin America and we talk about a guy who might be a a late bloomer, like I, I hate even using that mm-hmm. term because a late bloomer, you know, for kids who are eligible to sign at 16, right? You know, some of them are still 16, <laughs> or or if they're 17 or 18, like like 18 is considered an older player in Latin America for for an international signing, whereas obviously in the states, that's oh, it's a senior in high school, right? It sounds absurd to call yeah. an 18 year old kid a Oh, a bloomer. Right. So I don't think that the the money it, it, it is something of an advantage, but it's not like you're going to go out and sign the the super high profile player. But if you do find that under the radar type of guy, you do have a little bit more financial uh, flexibility to just offer him more money than somebody else that may have tapped out their entire international bonus pool. So are we talking uh, Ben at that level or those guys, $300,000, $400,000, you know, the, the late bloomer that they, they see something in. Yeah. And it's probably even less than that. I right. mean, you look at just the history of players who sign from say like January on until the end of the signing period. Mm-hmm. There, there are very few players who actually signed for more than, you know, 300,000. We might be talking about, you know, fifty thousand, seventy-five thousand, wow. even ten thousand dollar kind of signing. So, really, more than anything, it comes down to uh, just just scouting and just being on the ground. And and that, I think the Orioles are actually probably a little bit behind there, just because sure. they have so much less, you know, staff than yep. <laughs> than other clubs. Ben, what are they going to have to do as an organization to kind of get up to speed? To to your last point. Uh, with a lot of other teams in baseball in terms of the international market and to to kind of bear through with getting a few players that may be helpful to them down the road. Yeah, I mean, uh, hiring more more scouts on the ground is, is going to be one thing, just sort of uh, alluded to that. But uh, you just you, there's so many players everywhere in, in the Dominican Republic and Venezuela. You know, those are the two primary countries, but – um, the, the tricky thing about international scouting is, all right, in the draft, you know, you have your scouts really focused for the most part on one year's worth of players, whereas international scouts are trying to keep track of players for 2018, 2019, 2020, 21, even 22 right now. So you're trying to keep track of four years worth of players at once. And obviously these are not kids who are, you know, playing for a high school program or, or a college team. It's it's a lot less organization than that, so you really need a lot of people on the ground to be able to stay on top of these guys and get to know them as as well as as well as they can and build as much history on these players as possible to make good decisions. But I mean, the the biggest thing is just ownership needs to be willing to spend money on players. <laughs> that's that's really the main thing because it's. You know, it was whether it's under, you know, Duquette or Andy McPhail or whoever, other than maybe a, a handful of Cuban players here and there, the, you know, ownership hasn't been willing to 
spend money on on players out of out of the international market and particularly out of Latin America, especially the Dominican Republic and Venezuela. So I, I think you know really good hires and and Mike Elias and Kobe Perez, but uh, it's not Mike Elias's money that he's going out there and right. spending. It's not Kobe Perez's money that he's going out there and spending. It's uh, the owner, ownership has to be able to say, all right, here's you know four million or five million dollars, not all that much in the grand scheme of things, right. uh, to be able to go out and compete to sign some of the top players in Latin America. But that said, with the new regime in place, and you're talking about, in Mike's case, coming from an organization that had lost a hundred games, but then got turned around and won a World Series and obviously a playoff team last year. How soon do you think? the undertaking here in Baltimore that they're going through with him kind of gets turned around and going in the right direction. How long does that process usually take? Or do in you think it takes? The, yeah. In terms of just the international turnaround or the, well, yeah, the bigger but, picture turnaround? Uh, yeah, that kind of incorporating it all, the international turnaround, but then really from a and, – and, of course, anything can happen in baseball year to year. But just to, to get this team going in a direction – where they've got their feet on the ground and can contend again. Yeah, I think you're probably going to see – you could see a similar timetable to, to what happened in Houston, but I don't think the situation in in Baltimore is quite as, as dire as it was in Houston when uh, when Jeff Lunau took over. Uh, I actually think it probably could be more comparable to – uh, you know, another former Astros uh, assistant GM, David Stearns, when he took over uh, in Milwaukee, because there is – there is some there there is something there in the farm system. I think the the depth is lacking a lot because of they just have signed so few international prospects over the years, and I think that's going to continue to have long term ramifications for them uh, for for years of missing out on signings in Latin America. But I, I could see this turning around within. I, I do think it's going to be at least a few more years of of, uh, of, of not being competitive of... at the major league level. <laughs> yeah. But at, after that, I don't anticipate this being a, a five-year type of uh, turnaround. I think it can potentially turn around faster than. And specific to the international market, I think as long as ownership is willing to spend, you know, four or five million dollars, just spend whatever. The bonus pool is. I think that can turn around very quickly. The only difficulty there is the international market is moving so quickly that a lot of the top players for the 2019 class and even the 2020 and some of even the 2021 classes already have some commitments on where they're going to sign. So they really uh, are committing that far in advance now. That's yeah. It's uh, it's it's. The market is just moving extremely, extremely quickly. I would say most of the top 2019 players already know where they're going to sign. Uh, a wow. lot of the top 2020 players do as well. So uh, a lot can change over over that time period. But um, but yeah, it's it's, it's definitely starting. Uh, you know, even though the 2020 class <laughs> uh, and the 2020 excuse me, the 2019 signing period hasn't even started yet. They're, they're still behind just because of, of how fast everything moves in, in Latin America. Well, I would think the Oriole fan base would be very encouraged by what you said. Yeah, I would think in, so, In too. terms of 
you don't you don't see it as a really prolonged uh, situation like we have now that it will get better because you know there were that there there was that five six year period uh, of success, but I think you could see on the outside with the way things were being run that it could fall apart and and it did obviously it took a hard dive last year, uh, but but what you're saying to to Stan and myself is saying that this may not take as long as some people think. Yeah, I don't see, you know, there, there's some rebuilds we've seen that, you know, the the major league club goes through five years of of, of losing in, in terms of a, a rebuild. And, you know, it, it's possible it, it takes that long, but I think that there's, you know, it, you know, when we talk about a system like, like Houston, I'm, I remember writing up their top 30 prospects for our prospect handbook, and it was, you know, you got to number <laughs> six or seven, and, and, and it was, was like, man, this guy's yeah. <laughs> you got you got a stretch to to really even put him in a, a decent team's top 30. So, so uh, it's not like that in in Baltimore. I think there's definitely some deficiencies in the in the farm system, but uh, I think that uh, it, it can turn around. It, it, it's going to take a few more years, probably of of being fielding a non-competitive team at the major league level, which yeah. you know feels maybe like a lot, but I think in the grand scheme of things, it, it's it's not going to be a, a, one of these super long type of uh, long long years of tanking to to get back to the top. That's why I feel that uh, 2019, the the largest uh, success to me for the Orioles is if they find out five or six of their guys, and I'm talking about Austin Hayes. I'm talking about Diaz. I'm talking about guys, uh, Chance Cisco, D.L. Hall. Find out if they're going to be part of the solution here or not. And I'm not saying all of them have to be up day one, but I'd sure like to see some of them percolating and being more serious as parts of the solution here. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's you know you you hit on a lot of the, the top guys. I mean, I think those guys, look, some of them are not going to work out, but some of those guys have a, a chance to be, uh, you know, everyday regulars or, or above average uh, potential players. Whether it's uh, the position players or some of the the pitchers you mentioned as well, so it, it's going to take a, a lot more than that. But uh, they're they're going to have high draft picks <laughs> the next few years, and that's that's going to help them uh, a ton too. They're going to you know, uh, Mike and, and Sig are really smart guys. I'm sure they're going to make some uh, smart under the radar type pickups and and bolster their uh, bolster the major league club through uh, or, or the farm system, I should say, through through trade. So it's it's not going to be an uh, an overnight flip uh, like like you know, maybe we saw the Yankees do a, a couple of years back. But uh, it's going to take a few years. But I don't anticipate it being a, a five or, or six year type of rebuild here. Ben, I got one more question for you. We we've watched the the really expert teams like the Dodgers and the Blue Jays for years. They get these Latin American players and they'll flip them in trades as tremendous prospects, and then they sort of never really amount to anything. Usenial Diaz, I'm sure you saw him play as a kid. Is this guy the real deal, or did the Orioles sort of get what they paid for, which is only two months of Manny Machado? Yeah, I thought, uh, you know, especially based on what it seems like was available at the time, Eusneal Diaz was probably the best prospect that they could have gotten mm-hmm. in return. And, yeah, Diaz is, 
I don't know if he's necessarily a, a true center fielder. He, he runs well. Uh, you know, I think he's got a chance to stick in center field, but he's he's got really good hand-eye coordination and, and really pretty good plate coverage, too. He's not a guy who's going to go up there and swing and miss much. Uh, his power has, has improved uh, a, a decent amount over over the last couple of years. I don't, I don't expect him to go out there and be a big, big masher type of guy, but um, he, he showed better control of, of the strike zone this season, too. So a uh, guy who's, who's young and with a, a pretty good track record now up through double A, I did like that trade for, for the Orioles. Okay. I, I like using the LDS. I think he's got a chance to be uh, uh, at least an average, if, if not better, uh, everyday player at the major league level. Hey, we really appreciate the time. We know you've got uh, people b- banging down the doors to get you on all the time, and you travel a lot. So really appreciate the time. We wish you a healthy, happy uh, 2019. Oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. You all too. right. Ben, thank you very much. All right. There you have it. Ben, very ben very Badley. interesting from the standpoint of the international market and what the Orioles didn't do as opposed to what they can do here in the future going forward. And I, I, I certainly like the idea that he thinks that it's a lot of what Steve Molesky always tells us about mm-hmm. this farm system right. not being in as bad a shape as some of the fans think it is and some of the national publications think it is. All right. Interesting chat. Uh, we are going to now – uh, do we have the Ginsburg thing queued up? We'll, we'll revert back to a little bit of the Hall of Fame discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, uh, David Ginsburg, a friend, uh, a colleague, and a darn good writer with AP. Uh, his vote for uh, the Hall of Fame. He's going to release it on the Glenn Clark show, which he did, I think, Thursday morning. Let's uh, give a listen to a couple minutes of this. Honestly, don't. I've been covering baseball since 1990. And... I, I, I think you have to be in for five years, so I'm going to say 95, but okay. I honestly don't remember my first ballot, but I think Babe Ruth might have been on. <laughs> <I'm not ready>. <laughs> <laughs> Controversial vote, Dave. I think a lot of people are going to beat you up on that one. <laughs> uh, it's been, let's just say it's been a while, Glenn. Um, I've been doing it for many, many years now, and uh, you know, obviously consider it to be a great honor. Uh, January 22nd is the date when this year's class of the Baseball Hall of Fame will be announced and so we do this every year where uh, Dave comes on with us, and, and we're going to have you unveil your ballot, and then we're going to talk about it. And I, this is the part that I appreciate about this, Dave, is that, like, you know, we can have a conversation about it. I, I respect your opinions, and, you know, I've never felt that you were defensive in any way. And I, I think that, that one part of this is just I know that you know a lot about baseball because you've watched way more games in, and frankly, way more games that nobody else ever wanted to watch for a few years here in Baltimore um, than anybody else has. So I have great respect for your opinion about this subject. Uh, I guess without further ado, can you tell us this year who it is that you have voted for on your ballots? Well, I'm going to say this as a, as a prelude. I've never picked 10 guys. Some people just say if I get 10 votes, I'm going to use all 10. I've never even gone that far. And I will also preface it by saying not many years ago, I'd say three years ago, if I knew you used steroids, you were not on my ballot, period. Uh, and, you know, and I've since changed that stance because everyone used steroids in the 90s. 
For what it's worth, they really helped you recover when you had a long night, like a double header, and you were there at the ballpark until 2 a.m. They really helped in that way. Man, absolutely. That my recovery time was cut in half, and I, I could come back the next day and cover another bad baseball. <laughs> but uh, you know, and by saying that, I'm going to say that uh, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens were on my wallet this year, okay. as they were last year. Okay. You know, you can argue everything, and yes, I have no doubt that they use steroids, and that's not a good thing. But one of them was. Uh, certainly the, the greatest power hitter of all time. And yes, but was it inform- performance enhanced? Uh, I have no doubt, but that's what they did in that era. And the same thing with Clemens, one of the best pitchers of our time. So put him on our ballot as well. Now, I think that there were two pretty much no-brainers that I put on there. And I'm usually, Glenn, if you remember my ballots, I'm not really... Uh, enamored with putting a guy first ballot unless he's a Cal Ripken. Yep. Mm-hmm. But Mariano Rivera was uh, the reliever's version of Cal yeah, Ripken hard to in terms of production. Sure. Can't argue that one. I, he's on my ballot, as is Roy Halladay. There might have been better pitchers, but uh, certainly deserving. And, you know, um, the circumstances surrounding Roy Halladay, I, I believe he's going to be on, he's going to be going into the Hall of Fame at least. You know, uh, as as it would be, um, he, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Although I wish he was around to sure. appreciate no it. And the last guy on my ballot, Edgar Martinez, his last chance to get in. Uh, I'm usually not uh, really enamored with uh, DHs, but uh, he put up some really good numbers. He got seventy percent of the vote last year. His last shot at it, and I think he was a good enough hitter. Did what he did for a very long time enough to get on my ballot so those are my five so here we go again five names barry bonds roger clemens mariano rivera roy halliday edgar martinez those are the five players that you have voted for this year for the baseball hall of fame i guess let me start with the five again that you voted for and then we'll get to some of the guys that you did not vote for after that as dave ginsburg is with us here on glenn clark radio um dave uh, you know edgar martinez i think you told me last year that you hadn't voted for until this is the first time you have voted for edgar martinez is it simply because Correct. it got to the point where it was, this is my last chance to vote for him, um, the last push for Edgar? That was 94% of it. 6% of it was Harold Baines is in the Hall of Fame. Hmm. And I think Edgar Martinez was a better DH than Harold Baines. So, and I, I... All right, little miscommunication there. I thought we were going to hear more specifically about Mucina. Uh, but uh, your thoughts on, uh, all kidding aside, Dave's going to be our friend no matter what. I just don't understand the, I only, I never vote for 10. Yeah, I don't get that either, and uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, there's no rule that says you have to do that. Uh, however, when you're, when you're, when you got a list of players, and, and it's like the old argument, well, if if he's a hall if he's not a hall of famer now, what makes him a hall of famer later? Right. You know, I I I've never I mean, understood he, that. In, in later on in that interview with Glenn, he says next year I'm going to vote for Musina. Well, this is the year that he's got a right, terrific and, and chance if, to make it. Right. He's got a terrific chance to make it, and if you're having Edgar on, I've got no problem with that. Because a lot of guys do that, right. they'll fill out ten names. They'll have an Edgar Martinez on in their last in his last year of eligibility, and then they'll vote 
again for another one or put somebody else on their ballot the following year right. that they couldn't fit on this year. All those pro- all those things I have no problem yeah. with. Yeah. But if you're going to do that and you have ten choices, well, then why not – yeah, have you seen it? And and I, you know, I, I just have a problem I, with I've, that ballot. I I've have known a problem Dave, with. Uh, yeah. I've known Dave a long time, and I hope this is not the case. Uh he did mention in that interview that Mike wasn't the most cordial guy to right. me, and I I certainly would hope that that's not a uh, well, a prelude, if you will, to a how disqualifier, he out, right. a disqualifier as to how he filled out his ballot, because then you're kind of making it personal, and it shouldn't be personal. Yeah. I mean, no, the other be. problem the other problem I do have is something he brought up with Bonds and Clemens. All of these people who I always call holier than thou right. say, well, the, the steroid era, if you're connected with the steroid era, I'm not voting for you. And now all of a sudden those same people that said that right. are now voting for people well, who he, are right. – Well, here's the thing. If everybody was using steroids is Dave's supposition – we know that Mike Mussina never used steroids. Yeah. So you mean the numbers that weren't quite good enough to make the Hall of Fame were obtained by pitching against guys that were all on steroids? Right, exactly. And I, I think Dave's response to that was... I, I think he was being a little a glib. Facetious and yeah. glib, right. But, you know. but my point is that he pitched in the steroid era, in the toughest division, in the smallest ballparks, without a designated hitter, and still put up those incredible numbers. Right. And to me, the winning percentage. Oh, that you, you mean with the designated hitter? With the designated yeah, okay. hitter. And and to me, the biggest qualifier for Mike Mussina is that winning percentage. When I saw that his winning percentage in Baltimore was sixty four six four five point six four five, and the team's winning percentage was five eleven, that to me says he pitched way above his team. Right, and one of the reasons why you didn't have a 20-win season up until his last year goes to a lot of different reasons. You look at how many – if you go back and you look at the bullpen performance in Mike's, say, first six years, okay, I'm talking about late 91 up and through 96 You mean like when Jorge Julio might have been the closer or somebody like that? Yeah, something like that. You'll find out how many many times he left with the lead – and the bullpen gave it up. Right. That said, you're also looking at 94, the strike year. He's sitting there on the 12th of August when that strike occurs with 16 wins. You're right. going to tell me he doesn't win 20 that year? Yeah, and he probably wins the Cy Young. He may have won the Cy Young Award. The, the, other, thing that, um, the other thing that gets me uh, about Moose, and now all of a sudden I was trying to think of so many different things, um, I, I lost my train of thought there. Well, right. I just think I just think just the whole overall body of work. Here's a guy that won 270 with two teams, 147 here, 123 with the Yankees. He was a guy that got to the end uh, in '90. Uh, I'm sorry, in '07, and uh, you, you look at it, and he went out on his terms. He knew that 300 was the magic number, but he also knew or figured in his, at, at, with his age the possibility of some injuries along the way. Mm-hmm. And if you think back to the 04, 03, 04, that kind of thing, there were some injuries that cropped up uh, with the legs and the back. Uh, but, he, you know, he, he, he went through that. And, but the, to, to me, he went out on his own terms. He knew it was going to be another three years. 
he figured he had another three years to go to from 270 to, to 300. 300. Right. 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 Maybe he wins 15 two straight years and then and can get out. A, right. Right. But the chances are more than likely. Yeah, he did the right thing. He's a pretty for, analytical guy. Right. Now, that's to be compared with Tom Glavin, mm-hmm. who his last six years was 63 and 64. Mm-hmm. Uh, with an earned run average that was not nearly what it was in the prime of his career. You take those 60 wins that he got in his last six years, that's an average of 10 wins a year, Craig. If you take those out of him, he's at 240, and yet he's a Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Fame. And and you are preaching to the choir, and one of the things that Dave did bring up in his interview, and I listened to the whole thing on the the Clint Clark show, he said – you can make the arguments for and the arguments against, but this was his gut. If Mike doesn't get in this year, and I had somebody bring this up, well, what if he doesn't? What if he misses out by one one right. vote or two? You know, then you know. All right, we had a chance yesterday, or <laughs> I did when I say we. I had a chance yesterday to chat with Eno Saros of the Athletic. At Eno Saros is his Twitter handle. We're going to listen to that, then we're going to take a timeout, which I have to come back in for because uh, there was a reason. But uh, I'll come back in and set you, set you straight for the commercial, and then Mel Antonin comes up. Okay. So listen to Eno Saris of TheAthletic.com. And joining us now from TheAthletic.com is one of the really smart reads, uh, if you're a sports fan and a baseball fan in particular. Eno Saris joins us now. Uh, from theathletic.com. Eno, how would you describe yourself to to readers out there that may not know about you yet? What do you exactly write and do at The Athletic? Uh, well, it says analytics. So I know that turns people off. I, really, I just think of myself as a nerd. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if that turns people off. But, uh, you know, just generally, I... I I like to just dive in deep. So yep. I like to think about, uh, you know, a small change that a pitcher has made and how that, how that's really changed his overall, you know, efficacy. I like to just kind of look into, you know, trends in the game and, and where money's being spent and where attention's being spent, where the research is. So I just, I just read all the available research out there and try to apply that to baseball. So, yeah, I'm like kind of a deep diver or a nerd. Yeah. I like the deep diver uh, aspect because I used it in a line recently that I'm not a deep diver, but thank goodness I've got people like you around. Before, <laughs> before we talk about a little bit about how money is being spent or not spent in MLB right now, I wanted you to uh, tell our listeners and our folks watching on Facebook Live how how you feel the athletic is doing. You guys have been out a bat, little over a year, I guess. It will be 14, 15 months. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's been really exciting. You know, we didn't have a baseball. We didn't have a baseball team, like, of riders. We didn't have a coverage of baseball, basically, except for, like, three markets to start last year. And now we have, we're on all 30. So it's kind of exponential, crazy growth. But at the same time, you know, all the guys that they've picked up, all the it's not just guys, but all the riders that we've picked up in every market, I feel like have been the ones where I've been like, oh, yeah, that's who I would have gotten. That's right. who I would have gotten. And so for me, that's really exciting because I write nationally, and what I get to do and what Ken Rosenthal gets to do and what Jason Stark gets to do at, at the national level is sort of collaborate, talk to, bounce ideas off of, 
get information from, get quotes from. So I think that's really the kernel for me that, that makes The Athletic unique and what makes it so great is we have great local coverage and great national coverage, and between the two, both are going to get stronger. I mean, because... the, the lineup that you guys put out there with Rosenthal, Gannon, Stark, uh, Jim mm-hmm. Bowden, and the other guys you mentioned, in addition to some of the best local people around, uh, just uh, give you a lot of kudos out there. And you got two fine people in Baltimore and Dan Connolly on the Orioles and Jeff Reback on the Ravens. So uh, how can people uh, – what's the best way for somebody to dial in there on the URL and subscribe? Well, if they're if they are a Baltimore fan, you could just find one of those writers and and check their last piece, mm-hmm. and you'll you'll probably get uh, you'll probably get uh, you know a deal. We're usually hovering around forty percent off um, for the year, which means it ends up being about a dollar ninety nine a month, and you get all your local coverage and then the national coverage. Or you can find me on Twitter e n o s a r r i s. My last piece. Click in there, find find something. Right now, I just wrote about Brian Dozier and how injuries have – he's never been on the DL, but yep. injuries have affected his career, and I think that's a big part of why he'll bounce back for the Nationals next year. So. I, I read that piece yesterday, but the piece that really caught my eye, and there were two of them over the last few days, is the piece you put out on the 7th. Uh, which teams are best positioned to spend more on players this season, and what – what blew my socks off, and maybe you'll tell me, Stan, you're, you're reading this wrong, but between the 10 teams you mentioned, and I'll pretty much uh, I'll ascribe how I feel you feel about those five teams, um, the Orioles, the Blue Jays, the Giants, Twins, and Royals, I'm guessing you don't think that they stand real good chances of being contenders this year. And then the other grouping um, – with the Indians, the Rays, the Pirates, and the Astros, I think you feel if they spend a little bit more money, they could be contenders. But between those 10 teams you mentioned, am I reading this right, that there's a negative $358.3 million spent to date compared to last year? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there's a couple things going on. Last year, was one of the first times that we ever spent less on free agency than the year before. Yeah. Uh, and I saw that uh, was like $18 million less, I believe. Yeah. Okay. But even something small like that, it, it means that there's no inflation. Usually there's about a 10% inflation. Okay. So deflation is a really big deal. The last time deflation happened was uh, a year you might recognize, 1994. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, I think that was a big eye opener for everyone. And even this year, you know, I think once Harper and Machado sign, we might find, uh, you know, uh, maybe a, just a stagnant market or maybe a little bit of inflation because they're going to have such big, big deals that it'll, it'll kind of skew everything. Uh, but at the same time, what you're also finding is that there's a lot of teams that are just not spending and they're not, they're not spending because they're not competitive, but there's no, there's no salary floor. So there's, so there's no reason for them to spend. There's no reason for the Orioles necessarily to spend this year. And so they're going to go in with a, a whopping $71 million payroll cut from last year. And they may even cut more during the season if they, yep. if they trade Mark Trumbo and Andrew Kashner. So, you know, by the end of the year, they might spend 80 or $90 million less than last year. And, of course, it makes sense because they're going to be a pretty bad team this year. But at the same time, that's meaningful. And what happens is you have a lot of teams that are kind of, quote-unquote, tanking and not spending any money. 
and that's throwing off. It's it's making for kind of super teams and bad teams, hundred win teams and hundred loss teams, which can kind of not make compelling baseball. But it's also meant uh, something for the players and the players. We might be headed towards some labor strife, I think. I'm looking at that, and it's clear that Rob Manfred, uh, who who uh, negotiates quite a bit in his job and, and has for years in Major League Baseball before he was commissioner, I mean, he took Tony Clark. Uh, I can't specify where he took him to the cleaners, but <laughs> but he sure did, and they've responded by August. They've hired Bruce Weber, a noted litigator and attorney, uh, who's done some amazing things in sports. Do you think these kind of numbers that you were playing around with in this article, they lead you to believe that when this contract ends or even just before it ends, that, that we could be in for some labor strife in Major League Baseball? Yes, I, I do think so. And I think the main thing is this. I mean, people can say, oh, it's because of nerds like you. It's because of analytics like that you, that you espouse is that we no longer give long deals that we no longer pay people when they when they're post peak when they turn 30 you know we that's why there's no big deals that's that's fine you know yes okay maybe these teams are being smarter maybe but the problem is that the whole way this is structured is that players were supposed to get paid less than market rate when they were in arbitration when they're young when they're mm-hmm. team under team control and the 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 carrot was supposed to be free agency it was supposed to be capless free agency well, the luxury tax is acting as a cap. Most teams don't want to go over it. And since that's acting as a cap, that's also suppressing salaries. And now they're not spending for these long deals. They're not giving, especially mid-term, mid-tier free agents like the yep. Todd Frazier's of the world, they're not spending on those guys. They're not giving them more than a year or two anymore. Um, and, you know, a guy like Yasmani Grandal, who, you know, Brian McCann, and and Russ Martin, who were older than Grandal was this year when they got their deals, right. got $80 million deals, and, and Yasmani Grandal gets $18 million. So, you know, uh, that the, the carrot is no longer there at the end. So what the, the Players Association is really going to focus on is something like doubling the minimum salary, making them more pay when they're younger, right. and maybe cutting a year of arbitration. But owners are going to fight back they're going to fight back like crazy on those things yeah Yeah, i mean year of arbitration is a lot of money that that they don't want to spend so so knowing that you do the deep dive into these figures the Mm -hmm. the 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 total dollars in baseball right now though are going up aren't they i mean the the uh, money coming into the game through different areas so why is the commissioner not being, and I'm not saying he should bend over and and take it, you know. But why is he hunkering down so hard right now? Well, we'll have to see. Maybe maybe that huge deal they just signed a really big deal with Fox, right? Uh, you know, for a national TV deal. Maybe the owners will feel like you know we are in a good spot. You know, the owners just got a bunch of money. They each got about thirty million dollars from the from the partial sale of. Uh, MLBAM, which is kind of a technology wing. That's the so, BAM? Was that BAM? Yeah, BAM. Yeah. So yep. when they sold BAM, everybody got like $30, $40 million. So maybe they're all feeling like, you know, this is good. Uh, at the same time, though, uh, attendance, like in-park attendance is down. Um, so maybe they feel like something is is uh, a problem there. So, you know, and then you yeah. see how they're actually spending on payroll, and it seems like a lot of teams are just are cutting payroll. So that those owners must be feeling nervous. So there's uh, there's definitely uh, 
different ways to look at things, and the owners will probably feel like, hey, we're nervous about this and this and this, and we don't want to necessarily pay you guys a lot more. Uh, and the players are like, well, you know, free agency isn't what it used to be. Free agency is dead, so we need to do something. So that's that's why I think it's kind of going to be a rock and a hard place. But it is good that they got more litigators. I think what Tony Clark focused on when he got in there, everything seemed hunky-dory. Everyone's mm-hmm. happy. So he got them chefs. He got them nap rooms. He, he kind of thought as a player. He was like, okay. what? You know what do I want as a as a as an established star? I want you know food. Every, you know after games food everywhere. Yep. I want yep. you know, want my life. I want less travel. You know so they they worked less travel days. They, they 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 did make the life better, but they didn't they didn't focus on the financial aspect. Yeah, the other end of that before we dig into something else is it's not a cap, but boy, it seems like collectively, and I'm not talking in necessarily in a collusive way, but all these analytics people. They know that signing players after 32, say, doesn't make a lot of sense to be locked into guys for 33, 34, 35. We'd yeah. rather get them on one-year deals. Yeah, and and in the cap, yeah, you mentioned the cap. Uh, the luxury tax is not supposed to be a cap, but the problem is they put in so many penalties. It's not just monetary penalties. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you go over the cap three years in a row, you start getting – you start dropping in the draft. Your, okay. your, your, your draft pick drops like 10, 10 picks just because you've, you've been in the luxury tax so long. You start losing international spending money. And for a team that's trying to remain competitive while they spend money, those penalties are actually worse than, than some of the monetary penalties. They can, they can run a payroll uh, up there, but if they also start losing picks, then they start uh, losing the ability to remain competitive. We're talking with Eno Saris of TheAthletic.com. He does the deep dive into a lot of numbers surrounding the game of baseball. Eno, I want to uh, get to one other area, but before I do that, how well do you know Sig Meidel, uh, who was hired by the Orioles to run their analytics wing? I don't know him personally, but I do know that he's had success wherever he's gone. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, the Cardinals were a top class, a top class organization. They've, They've actually the Cardinals have produced more current major leaguers, uh, you know, in the game right now than everybody except for the Rangers and the Yankees. So the Cardinals uh, are been have been great at producing major leaguers. And then he went over to the Astros, and they they right now the Astros are probably the best team in baseball in, when it comes to player development. And um, they they spend the most money on technology, wearable technology, tracking technology. And they're trying to turn that into best practices. So they're trying to find how should we teach our hitters, how should we teach our pitchers, and you you start to see that with a lot of their um, you know role players, even guys that are coming up and and just succeeding in the major leagues because they've been coached so well. You know, before we let you go, your piece uh, that just came out the uh, day before yesterday, I believe it was, on the Vegas numbers, the over unders are mm-hmm. here. Uh, what do you make of them? What's interesting in them? And I'm not just talking Baltimore specific. Well, you know, one of the things that happens with projections and with with Vegas things is that with Vegas numbers is that they kind of tend towards the middle, and what they 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 kind of push everything towards 500. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, the Orioles, for example, uh, they're projected to to only lose 100. Vegas says they're going to lose more than 100. And Vegas is probably more closer to right because not only are the Orioles bad now, they're only going to get worse over the course of the season as they try and trade away anybody they can do. Correct. Um, and teams that are projected to be sort of 90-win teams um, 
are going to add. They're not, not only going to add, like the Phillies right now are only projected to win 80 games. Well, they're in the hunt for Machado and Harper. Uh, they've just said that they want, to, they want to spend more. And if they're competitive in season, they're only going to trade for more talent uh, throughout the season. So, um, you know, that's, a, that's why I kind of picked the Nationals as, as a good bet. And then they go out and get Brian Dozier the same day got, that I, I say the Nationals are a good bet. And got better. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and in season, they're going to, you know, if they're bullpen right now, you look at it and say, oh, I don't know. I think that has some cracks in it. Well, the Nationals every year go out and trade for a reliever. So, you know, that's, that's something they can do again. One more team I want to ask you about, because I could sit here and ask you about 10 more teams, but the <laughs> Brewers who came within a game of get, or two games of getting to the World Series, they're estimated to win 78 games. Uh, is that because they lost Jonathan Scope? I doubt that. <laughs> well, that was, that was a foreground doll, so they might be closer to yeah. a, a, a 500 team now. But, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I find the Brewers very interesting because they've now two years in a row have beaten projections pretty mm-hmm. badly. Um, and last year they were projected to win, you know, 80 games and they won 96. So, you know, some people say, well, that means the projections are missing something here. They're probably, they might be right. At the same time, just beating the projections a year or two in a row does not mean the projections are all wrong. It just means you could be an outlier. So I'm really interested to see how they do this year. Um, you know, they do do things differently. They do some opener stuff where they mm-hmm. use reliever to start a game. Uh, they use their, their starting pitchers less than anyone. Uh, they have these plans for the starting pitchers where they come in and they radically change their, their pitch mixes, um, start throwing sliders 40%, 50% of the time, you know, whatever it is. Cutters, Wade Miley went to from a fastball to a cutter uh, as his primary pitch with them. So they, they, they're doing a lot with platooning and, and trying to get the most out of their players. At the same time, uh, you, you kind of look at that team and you say, okay, I, I see you got Christian Yelick and you got Lorenzo Cain, and what else? <laughs> I, uh, they're, I... starting, they're, they're starting pitching, uh, had the worst fastball velocity in the league last year. So, you know, they're kind of, you're kind of looking at that and you say, okay, you got a bullpen, you got some defense, you got two good, you know, offensive players, but that doesn't seem like a 96 win team. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, what are we missing? What are the projections missing? How much do we have to learn from the Brewers? Uh, and so going into this year, I'm, I'm really excited to see what they do. All right. Eno Saris of TheAthletic.com, many thanks for uh, being on with us. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Fascinating interview with Eno Saris of The Athletic. Certainly Frank, was. <laughs> i got to ask you a quick question about yeah? it. How do you spell Eno? E-N-O. Very good. You were paying attention. There you go. All right. Chick-fil-A on Sundays. With Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays, you can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Make all your events remarkable with Chick-fil-A catering trays, perfect for tailgating, birthdays, or office parties. But you got to act today to get Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Got to get it on Saturday. We'll be back with more right after this. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with the 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. 
Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. One-third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. Chick-fil-A on Sundays? With Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays, you can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Make all your events remarkable with Chick-fil-A catering trays. They're perfect for tailgating, birthdays, or office parties. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect, and we talk about soccer, the the other type of football. No, no, we don't. We don't. No. Never. No. Yeah, not really. Tennis. No. Nope. Rugby. Nope. No. Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College. College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show. But I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for for 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. And it's time to talk about one of Craig Heist and my favorite places, Big Bats. Let's talk about Ken Island's original sports bar located at 216 St. Clair Place in Stevensville, Maryland. And how do you get there? Well, you cross the Bay Bridge, and as soon as you cross the Bay Bridge, it's the first exit on the right. You have to pay the toll? You have to pay the toll. I have easy pass, so I just blow right through the toll. All right, great. There you go. And then you uh, take that first exit when you cross onto the eastern shore, get up to the stoplight, hang a left, and it's about a quarter of a mile uh, down the road on the right in... uh, Saint, in St. Clair, Clair Place, right? Yeah, in Stevensville, Maryland. And by the way, today you can beat the snow, get there around 3 o'clock, have some grub, watch the first half at least of the Indy-Kansas City game. Where there the should, be, should be some snow in that yeah. game. But we love Big Bats, and it's the only place that you can sit on, on a, a base. base. Yeah, That's right. absolutely, and, right and there at the bar. Watch all your sports, all the playoffs, the NHL season, NBA season, uh, baseball when it starts again, it's and, all there for you. And decorate it out to the hills. Don't forget 
uh, the theme rooms because there's a great Orioles theme room with all the memorabilia dating back to uh, when the Orioles came to town, but also their first World Series championship in 1966, that four-game sweep of the Dodgers. Anyway, joining us right now is someone who uh, I've known for a good while, but I've gotten to know him a little bit better with uh, my time uh, once a week on Masson's Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, and that is uh, a terrific writer, terrific uh, observer of the sports world, and especially baseball. That's my friend Mel Anton. And Mel, how are you? Hey, good, Stan. Uh, thanks for that introduction. That was well, I mean that. that. A nice we've, one. We've known each other for a good while, and now we're getting a chance to work together. A Here, here's bit. the twenty. Yeah. Here's the twenty here's bucks. Here's the twenty <laughs> bucks. Okay. All right. And Craig, it's good to be with you guys too. How you doing, Mel? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to a little snow, actually. Yeah, we're are you getting ready Especially for the. Put, you getting ready for the NFL games? Yeah, getting ready for the NFL games, and then you know, once it starts snowing, it kind of reminds you of opening day around baseball as well. Hey, Mel, uh, I don't know your That's age, but I'm guessing I'm guessing you're at least close enough to me that you were alive and cognizant 50 years ago today when the uh, Jets uh, sort of broke the barrier in the National Football League by becoming the first AFL team to beat an NFL team, the Baltimore Colts. Do you remember where you were watching that game? Yeah, I remember. I was in my, I was, you know, I was about, I don't know, twelve or thirteen, whatever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I remember watching it with a friend. Uh, we went to church. We we ate we ate a noon lunch downtown, and we went to watch the game. And I didn't know much about football then, and uh, so I was uh, I was amazed. It it was one of those games I think that kind of. Uh, got me going as a football fan because it was so invigorating. I didn't really know who Joe Namath was. I didn't really know much about the Colts. But I remember my dad and his friends, the guys I was watching the game with, were just amazed at the game. And I think that was, I think that's the first, that is the first Super Bowl that I remember. Yeah, I, I was, I was stupefied watching that game. I was not the biggest Colts fan in the world. Uh, no. I went to all their games with family but I always, because I was from Washington, I always rooted for other teams. The Rams were my team around that era in the Roman Gabriel time. But, boy, that was – I just could not believe what I was watching that day. Well, well Stan, yeah. couldn't, Stan couldn't believe what he was watching. You were getting your indoctrination into football, kind of, I think, from you know, what it sounds like from what you were saying. And me, being from East Baltimore in Baltimore County, Essex, Dundalk, yeah. I can tell you, those, those, those people were pissed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Well, I remember, and, and stories I remember, came I out. Go ahead. The following season, yeah. you know, I grew up in the Midwest in Minnesota, South Dakota, but I remember the following season, the Jets came to Minnesota for, a, for an exhibition game, and everybody was was just it was a craze to get a ticket right. to see Joe Namath. Yeah. I remember that, but you know, I, I never I never went to the game. But yeah, it was a very historic game. It's fun to read some of the stories about what what, what was going on. Yeah. I, I miss those days of Metropolitan Stadium because the football field ran from essentially the third base dugout mm-hmm. out to right field. Mm-hmm. And behind the end end zone in right field there was the 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 chain link fence that was the fence in yeah, in, in yeah. baseball, and, right. and, and uh, I remember several people going through that end zone and just you know <laughs> planting their face into that fence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was a miserably cold stadium, but and boy, it, it, when you look back at some of the clips, 
of uh, the snowbound games there. It it really was a magical time. Uh, and, there's something really special about football outside in December and January. It's and really fun. I think they also did this in Milwaukee at County Stadium because the Packers played like three games there during the course of the year. Right. Where the sidelines, where the sideline, both teams were on the same sideline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. And and what was interesting about that is when the Vikings were in those games, uh, they they were the Vikings and the Rams, the playoff game, they had like four consecutive years where the Rams had to come to Metropolitan Stadium uh, to play football. And the Rams and the Vikings were on the same side of the field. The benches were – the Vikings had no heaters and the Rams had just tons of space heaters going. <laughs> Vikings won all four games. Reds, Redskins lost a playoff game up there too in the early 70s. Hey, speaking of how cold it used to get in Minnesota – Mel, I've got I've had an idea that c- cropped up in my head this this off season that you have the you have the uh, MLB the Hall of Fame v- Veterans Committee or whatever they call it today they I think they changed the name. Would you be in favor of a a cold case committee to study certain players and whether they belong in the Hall of Fame or not? And the guy that's coming to my mind because I didn't know you were from Minnesota. Is Tony Oliva? Yeah, you know they they do that to a certain degree. There's a group of um, there's a, a select group of reporters and and baseball players that go through all the all the all the statistics and all the history. And Tony Oliva's been on the Veterans Committee. In fact, the last time he was on the Veterans Committee uh, ballot, he missed by one vote. But I ah. think Tony Oliva is a Hall of Fame uh, a Hall of Famer. You know, just what he did and how he defined baseball in Minnesota and one of the best hitters of his time, winning batting championships and all that in the first two years of his career. But, yeah, I think something like that has already been done, but I think it could be revised some. Yeah. I I just think that in a case, there there seems to be no groundswell for Don Mattingly or Tony Oliva, and those are at least two guys that, to me, are Hall of Famers minus the severe injury issues that they had. Yeah, I mean, in Mattingly's case, he, what, played 12 years. He had six Hall of Fame years yep. and then six very very average years at best because of injuries and because of lack of performance. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a very tough, tough call yeah. uh, with Mattingly and Oliva. But I thought Oliva was going to get in. Um, I thought Oliva was going to get in in um, he really got that close. I, I, didn't realize he, I didn't realize he got one vote shy. Yeah, one vote shy. You know, I'm a little prejudiced when it comes to Tony Oliva because he and my dad were very good friends. Oh, really? Tony, yeah, when Tony came to Minneapolis out of Cuba in the early 1960s, my dad showed him around a lot. They became very good friends. In fact, um, uh, Tony was a pallbearer at my dad's funeral. I did not know that. I did not yeah. know that. One of, yeah, we had a lot of great times with uh, Tony Oliva. One of the... One of the best moments I had, I was very good friends uh, with Sam Mealy in the last, say, 15 years of Sam's life. Uh, Sam used to come to Baltimore all the time as a scout for the Boston Red Sox until he was dismissed by Dan Duquette. Uh, And Sam and I became great friends. I visited him for a weekend up in his home in Quincy when his wife was out of town in Florida, and we had a good bachelor weekend together. I was at a game... About four years ago, I was at spring training in Fort Myers. I think it was like three years ago. And I walked in where the press credentials, where you went in with your press credentials, and sitting there talking to the press credential guy 
was Tony Oliva in uniform. And I said, Tony, I'm from Baltimore, but I'm really good friends with Sam Mealy. Would you like to talk to him if I can get he, Oh, I'd love to talk to Sam. And the two of them probably hadn't talked at least in 10 years. Could have been 15 years. And I dialed Sam up, and, uh, and I said, Sam, I got a surprise for you. I'm standing here in Fort Myers with Tony Oliva. And I handed him the phone, and the two of them talked for about six or seven minutes. Uh-huh. And then I, I, you know, I hung up, and then Sam called me back like a half hour to thank me, and he was all like almost crying how much it meant to him to talk to Tony one last time. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's so many good stories. So now about let's Tony Oliva. Let's let's get to more current storylines. Uh, the the D. DJ LeMayu signing yesterday by the New York Yankees. It seems like that's not only taken the Yankees out of the Manny Machado sweepstakes, it seems like it's sparked a little conjecture that there's a mystery team. Uh, have you heard that? And what do you think of Machado and the Yankees? Is that dead now? I don't think it's dead unless Manny goes to New York at the Yankees' price. Okay. Uh, the Yankees aren't going to pay Machado what he thinks he's worth or what he wants or what the marketplace is going to go. Right. I don't think it's bad, but I think I think the Yankees are taking advantage of Manny and saying, you know, if you really, really want to come here, if this is very hard, is you have to do it at our price. Right. Because you know they they need pitching and they need you know they need they can get by without Manny Machado. They won 100 plus games last year without Manny. Yep. And offense was never their problem. So, but the Lemayhu thing is interesting because. They're using him. They're planning to use him as a utility player, and he's not at that age yet. And he hasn't played many other positions besides second base. And they've got a good second baseman, so I don't really know what they're doing. I like Dave Johnson's speculation last night that maybe they're um, with Lemayhew. Maybe they're going to make a trade for another pitcher because all of a sudden they have two first-class blue-chip second basemen in Torres and and Lemayhew. So maybe they're going to make some kind of trade. On the Bryce Harper front now, it appears, at least, you know, from what we're hearing, that there's a real good chance that he comes back to the Nationals. And if he does, what do you think that contract might look like? I think it's going to be, if he comes back to the Nationals, I think it'll make him, I think it'll be a contract that will make him uh, the richest contract in baseball history, both for total value and average annual value. I think that's what he's looking for, and I think that's what the Nats will end up giving him. But I still think the Phillies have a chance to blow him out of the water. I do too, yeah. And um, and, I, and I think it's hard for me to believe, guys, and I'm interested to hear what you think about this. It's hard for me to believe that there isn't other teams out there that want to pick yeah. up pick up Bryce Harper. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I understand $30 million is a lot of money, $30 million a year, but if, if the Angels sign him or if the Braves sign him or any other team signs him, they're going to make that up very, very, very quickly. And so Bryce Harper at 30 to $35 million a year for seven or eight years or whatever, that's a good business deal, and I just can't believe there isn't more teams out there. I wouldn't be shocked if some team that nobody really suspected it's come out of the, comes out of the woodwork you know, and, and, I, and makes a pitch. I keep thinking back to a year ago or f- 13 months ago. Weren't the Cardinals in on Giancarlo Stanton? So that, yeah. that price range shouldn't really scare them off. And I think Harper, while I like Stanton, 
I think he was exposed a little as not the guy that's going to get the really clutch hits. Harper's never had that problem. Yeah. Well, the Cardinals have basically told Scott Boris, we want it to at least hear what the final what the final price tag is going to be. Please contact us after you after you after you're close to getting done. We'll see if there's a deal to be done. The Cardinals are interested in Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper would be great for that team. Bryce Harper would be great in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Atlanta needs a right fielder. Could you imagine the excitement in Anaheim if Bryce Harper and Matt, Mike Trout were in the same lineup? Yeah. The Angels could afford it. The Angels could do it. What's different now um, in baseball's marketplace as opposed to 10 years ago is that virtually every team is rich enough to sign Bryce Harper if they need to or want to. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I... <laughs> I know for one thing, if he goes to Philadelphia, he has absolutely crushed the ball in that ballpark throughout his career. That would be a great landing spot for him if he, if he couldn't come back to the Nationals. Yeah, I think that's a good point. If that's what he wants, if, if money is the only object, if, if, if it's the biggest contract offer, then I think he goes to Philadelphia. But as you know, Greg, as good as Philadelphia was last year, the Phillies had a losing record. Yeah, yep. The, you know, they, they lacked offense. They've improved their defense. But their pitching staff, after Jake Arrieta and Aaron Nola, is a big question mark. Nick Pavetta has not put together a full season. Neither is Zach Eflin. Um, you know, the three, four, and five guys, and Vince Velasquez has never put together a big season. They're, whether they contend or not depends on how well they can fix their pitching staff. And they just don't have enough pitching to compete in the National League East. Well, I know one thing. The Nationals do have enough pitching, and they're probably going to add to that a little bit between now and spring training. Uh, you know, if Bryce is worried about winning, uh, I think he knows that uh, maybe maybe that uh, D.C. is the best landing spot for him. Oh, I agree. I mean, if it's important to be a one-team superstar with a team that's going to contend for a while and build to contend, both with a farm system and good money, yeah, then there's no choice but to go to Washington. Yeah. But, you know, only Bryce knows for sure what, you know, we, so I would think that, I would think that the Washington Nationals would be the best choice. And I, again, I think the Dodgers would be a good choice for him. But yeah, it, I, I think so too. I don't know. It, it, you, it's beyond you, me now. There was conjecture sometimes during the summer last year that the Phillies, this is even before their owner said he was going to spend stupid money, that the Phillies were going to be in on both Harper and Machado and might even contemplate signing both of them. You don't see that possibility, do you? No, I don't think so. I don't know what the definition of stupid money is, right? but that's not a very good negotiating ploy by the Phillies (laughs) to say that and then put that expectation on the fans. Can you imagine if they – if they come away with nobody, right? I mean, I suppose there's always a chance that they could sign two. I think that's a slim chance. Yeah. But let's say they don't get anybody. How are the fans in Philadelphia going to react if they don't spend whatever amount stupid money is? Mel, I have stupid money, and it's got nothing to do with the money I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, wherever Neon is, there's some well, stupid there money go. being spent. Yeah. We're talking with Mel Antonin of uh, – of uh, massinsports.com. Uh, Mel, uh, the Orioles got their three guy, most sort of important veteran guys uh, in place, uh, Dylan Bundy, Jonathan VR, and who's the third guy? Uh, bah, 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 bah. Who is Yesterday, the they all were arbitration eligible. Well, I know VR got done this morning. Right, so. and Bundy got done, 
and um, Michael, well, Michael Givens. Michael Givens, yeah, right. Yeah, get out. Um, do you expect them to shop on the periphery for a couple small add-ons, or do you think they're they're ready to roll the dice with mostly the young talent? I don't think they can afford to roll the dice with mostly young talent. The priority has to be young talent and player development and development of that talent. But you also have to have some stability to keep everybody interested, including the fans, including the young players. They have to have a chance to win every night. So there's got to be a mix. You've got to have some experience. So you can't have three outfielders who've never played in the big leagues and then have them slump. What happens if they're in horrific slumps on June 15th? Right. I mean, you just can't do that. You've got to have a – got, in my mind, you've got to have a mix of youth and um, experience so, to keep the season interesting. So who's and, still uh, so who's still out grow, there? What's that? Who's still out there that that could still help this team? Well, I think I think somebody. Uh, uh, I think what they need is uh, I think they can get by with the pitching staff that they have. Mm-hmm. Although if if, uh, if there's some pitcher with some experience that comes, uh, they'd be all right. But I think. You know, would there be any outfielders that they need? I think that's what they need most of all is is some kind of an outfielder. I don't think A.J. Pollock would come in. I can't, off the top of my head, can't think of on the list who's on the list. But anybody with just any experience at all that can that can take some of the pressure off the youth. I mean, if D.J. Stewart hits or if Austin Hayes hits and Cedric Mullins just goes on a tear, but what are, what, what are yeah. the chances that all three of those guys are just going to come up to the big leagues and not suffer – any growing pains in any way, shape, or form. I think they one of the in- balance I think one of the interesting things to see this year that that's going to be along with that young talent and whatever young pitching they're going to have is I'm interested to see in just what kind of year and bounce back Chris Davis can have. Yeah. with this team. Yeah, yeah. I think and you know as bad as he's been, it's not like he's over the hill. He's no. he's still. You know, he's still young enough that he can bounce back. You know, I so- thought it was interesting, and I think you guys heard it at the winter meetings or maybe at one of the press conferences at Camden Yard. But Mike Elias thinks that uh, a dose of sabermetrics some, will will help him along. Mm-hmm. There might be some new ideas with the new management team in line, and that could help Chris Davis. But, you know, he, it, it, I agree with Dave Johnson. Uh, pitch recognition is the biggest issue with him. And uh, I don't know how you fix that, but it feels like new management is confident that they will give him some ideas that he hasn't even thought about. Yep. And that might help him. Let me throw out an idea that doesn't get talked about and we'll, we'll end it after this is uh, Adam Jones. Uh, clearly the club was probably a little miffed at Adam for not accepting that trade and, and saving them some money last year. He obviously had the right and he stated that many times is there any possibility that, you know, 20 days from now, as we're really getting close to the start of spring training, that all of a sudden they, the two sides can agree on a one-year deal? Yeah, I don't, I don't know how, how Orioles management feels about bringing Adam Jones back, given what he did yeah. uh, and, and rejecting the trade. But I, I don't think so. I think it's time to yeah. move on. And I think there's going to be other teams, Cleveland, Milwaukee, mm-hmm. or no, Cleveland, San Francisco, both need outfielders. San Diego, his hometown, yep. could use him as well as in a leadership role and somebody who's playing the outfield. So 
it's not like there aren't places for Adam Jones to end up, but I think it would be very unlikely that he ends up back with the Orioles. Well, if you're the if you're the Orioles and you look at what Adam's done throughout his career here, even though the the situation is much different, wouldn't you rather have a guy on your team if you can agree to a one year deal or something to kind of help with the experience that he has to kind of just mentor the young guys? I mean, to me, that yeah. makes all the sense yeah. in the world. Yeah, it makes to have somebody with experience. If some guy is slumping, an experienced guy can can help him through. There's so many things that you can learn from somebody who's been there before, whether it's Adam Jones or anybody else. That's the value of experience. And you know, it's great if all the young kids grow, 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 and don't have any growing pain. But that's not always likely in your first year yeah. in the big leagues. All right, Mel Antonin of MassinSports.com. Many thanks for joining us today. Uh, enjoy the football and uh, stay warm and uh, snuggly there with uh, the snow coming in. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, you guys are the greatest, so keep it up. Thank you very much, Mel. All, All right. right. Uh, there you go, Mel Anton of MassInSports.com. Speaking of the greatest, the Costas Inn. Oh, yeah, no question about it. Uh, all the great specials, Monday, Crab Cake greatest Night. Greatest specials. Greatest specials, Monday, Tuesday Crab Cake Night. Tuesday night is Rib Night. Rib Night. Wednesday, Wednesday night is Steak Night. Right. And Thursday, Thursday night is Lobster Night. That's right. And that's Friday the night, night. Well, that's the night that uh, Thursday is the night that Jane goes and leaves yeah, you home. Exactly. And uh, the, Except she takes my credit card. There are specials on the menu every night. You can't go wrong. Great food, great people, great atmosphere. 4100 North Point Boulevard. Uh, stop on in and tell them both Pete and Nick, that Stan, that they and, each other. That, that that they Stan and Craig sent you out there. All right. That's the Costas Inn, uh, one of our favorite places ever. And the Triantafilos family will make you feel really at home, and you'll get a good, solid meal. We'll be back to close things out on the show right after this. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemon. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local Turtle. PressBox's annual Best of Baltimore Sports Double Issue is now available. Presented by Maryland Sports Commission. This issue recognizes UMBC basketball's Ryan Odom and Jarris Lyles as our local sports persons of the year. Plus, 60 more are in the spotlight as we look at the top people, performances, and moments of the year. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. 
Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Section 336 here with all your Baltimore sports talk. The Ravens season is now done, but the Orioles season is just ahead. We have a new GM. We have a new manager. We have a few new baseball players out there. Reason for optimism. I don't know if you can name any of those new players, and I think we won 40-some games last year. Yeah, but I remember a terrible year in 1988 where we were able to turn it around the very next year in 1989. Why not 2019? Yeah, why not? Why not check out Section 336 at section336.com, Facebook, or on Twitter and iTunes as well. Just search for Section 336. What a sweet time to see our friend Steve at his Chick-fil-A restaurant in Nottingham Square. The chocolate milkshakes are the way they should be at Chick-fil-A, thick and chocolatey. But so is the peppermint chocolate chip milkshake, thick, chocolatey, and pepperminty. The strawberry milkshake is thick and very strawberry-y like it's supposed to be. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square also has frosted coffee and ice-cold vanilla shakes. Plus, there's a cookies and cream milkshake. Cookies and cream! The Chick-fil-A sandwich is the best. The waffle fries are amazing. And at Steve's Chick-fil-A in Nottingham Square, his folks come around to check on you if you dine in. They refilled my drink for nothing the last time I was there. Do not leave hungry. Top off your next meal at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square with something sweet. Shakes, cones, and cookies. All done the way you'd expect from Chick-fil-A perfectly. Join Chick-fil-A 1 and score points every time you order for free stuff. Our Chick-fil-A is on Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. All right, we are back on the show, and uh, Craig, let's uh, spend 30, 45 seconds. Uh, who you like in these games today? Kansas City Chiefs are a five-and-a-half-point favorite at 430 at Arrowhead. Well, when you consider Andy Reid's playoff uh, record. record. And you, you love can, Indianapolis. I'm <laughs> loving Indianapolis in this game and the points, but I think the Chiefs are going to win the game. All right. How about, uh, and I, I'm, you know, I don't know what, Colts team is going to show up. If the Colts team that played as well as it did against Houston a week ago shows up, I think this could be a very entertaining football game. I look for it to be in the like 34-30 range. Well, you also have the elements to consider. Yep. The snow will be there. At least that's the reports. So we'll wait and see. All right. And then later tonight, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, who i got to be honest, they've gotten a very different Amari Cooper than a lot of us thought they were getting. They're in L.A. at the Coliseum, and they're a seven-point underdog to if the Rams. Zeke, if Zeke gets the ball 25 to 30 times and they feed him, uh, it'll make it difficult on the Rams. Still like the Rams. Don't think they're going to cover the spread, though. Okay. It'll be interesting. Uh, I think the Rams' defense really has to step up mm-hmm. and play their best game of the season. Tomorrow at 1 o'clock, uh, the Los Angeles Chargers uh, move into um, – uh, Foxborough to play the uh, Patriots. They're four-point underdogs. Who you like in that uh, one? I got to go. You know, you're going to take Tom Brady and Bill Belichick at home. I'm sorry. All right. I, I understand I understand all the swell about the, the Chargers and what and they Phillip were able Rivers to do. Right. But Phillip Rivers has not played well against the Patriots. Not that this year's game has nothing to do with this year's game. But they ha- he hasn't played well. There's more than likely going to be snow in that game, yep. and that's going to make it even more difficult for the Chargers. All right. I like the Patriots in that football game. And then the last game of the week uh, weekend, the uh, Super Bowl champs of a year ago, who won, to me, 
sort of a more miraculous game than anybody. They beat uh, six, being a six-point underdog. They won outright in Chicago. They're that's the Eagles. They're in New Orleans, an eight-point underdog. What did they lose last time in New Orleans? Like uh, 47? 48 to three or something, 10, like, something like that. Yeah, fourteen. Yeah, what do you expect? Uh, I don't expect that kind of blowout. I certainly expect Nick Foles to to keep the Eagles in it, but I just don't see how in the dome they beat Drew Brees and the Patriots. I I'm just in don't. Agreement. Do you do you like them to cover the Saints? Uh, it's be I, close. I could see them covering it, uh, the eight. I guess it yep, is. Yeah, yep. it's going to be close, but yeah, I could, I could see them covering it. All right, thank you very much. You, you and welcome. I are going to talk about what's going on next Saturday because I'm definitely not going to be here. We have to find out if you're here, or we're going to do a best of show. Okay, sounds All good. Right. We appreciate your watching on Facebook Live and uh, listening in. You can still go to Facebook Live and like this thing. And share this sucker. Right. And don't forget yeah. women's basketball at Towson. Tomorrow. Off the charts two, right now. Two o'clock tomorrow. Thank you, Craig. Who do they play tomorrow? Hofstra. Hofstra. Oh, Hofstra. I knew that. <laughs> right. Right. I know. You're you're a big fan of yeah. Hofstra women's basketball. All right. Have a great rest of your weekend. Enjoy the football and drive carefully out there.